Hi, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, here to let you know about a new and innovative theater major, the BA in Theater and Business Arts at the University of Providence. Get the education and experience you need as a theater artist and the business acumen to succeed in your career. Visit broadwaybullet.com and stay tuned to the end of the program for more info. Now, enjoy the show. Hi, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, here to let you know about a new and innovative theater major, the BA in Theater and Business Arts at the University of Great Falls. Get the education and experience you need as a theater artist and the business acumen to succeed in your career. Visit broadwaybullet.com and stay tuned to the end of the program for more info. Now, enjoy the show. Broadway Bullet, Volume 707 for January 10th, 2017. VIP Backstage Tour. Be sure to visit broadwaybullet.com and subscribe for free to not miss a single episode. another episode. In this episode, we talk with Jason Bassett about stage managing the Hamilton Monster. We get a deep look at what a general manager does with Roy Gabay and Daniel Cooney from Jumpstart Entertainment. Dev Bondaren and Jessica Bathurst stop by to tell us about new things happening with the Astoria Performing Arts Center in Queens. And we get to hear two songs from hot up-and-coming composer Michael Bott. So strap in and hop on board. Well, it's good to be back. This is Michael Gilbo for January 10th, and we're in 2017. Uh, Two episodes got delayed. These should have gone up in May, but unfortunately, at that point, I wasn't able to get back to New York for a new season. Didn't know what was going on, but was pretty sure I'd be able to get the podcast going again. And I decided to hold on to these two episodes, uh, this episode, another one coming up in February, so I could let you know a little bit about when we were coming back and what we were doing. So we are going to be recording new episodes in May and starting to put them out in uh, July. So that's exciting. I'll tell you a little bit more about that, but I don't want to wait. Let's get into talking with Jason Bassett, the stage manager from Hamilton. Up Close. I'm sitting here with Jason Bassett, who is currently the stage manager for the mega, mega, mega hit musical Hamilton. And uh, <laughs> being involved with the mega, mega hit Hamilton makes the stage manager a superstar. <laughs> How are you doing, Jason? Good. Even the, even the stage manager gets some time on this. Yeah. Well, I like having all, all areas of the, of the theater on board to educate. I think everybody needs to know more about what everybody else does in this business. And so yeah. I like mingling things up. And I, I just found out in the small world category that your uh, parents live about 30 minutes from me, or 20 minutes. Uh, about in, 45. Oh, you know, is it 45? Yeah, I've driven it a couple of times. Yeah, uh, live well, in... The way we drive in Montana, <laughs> it's 20 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> so, uh, Hamilton the Musical. Yes. How long have you been on this journey? Um, I joined it be in the uh, right, be- right before it came to Broadway is when I joined it. So I started back... About the beginning, middle of May of last year, um, starting looking at pre-production and and all the things then rehearsal and what they wanted to accomplish in rehearsal, and then long about the middle of June we actually started rehearsal and uh, went into tech early in July and here we are. <laughs> so you so you missed out on the um, the downtown the downtown yes we the up I got to do the uptown and uh, not the downtown. 
Why, 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 why the switch in stage managers midstream? Um, it's really sort of the creative's choice. It's not necessarily you know my choice, and not necessarily something I dug too deep into. Um, just because you don't, yeah. you know, you never know why. Because it seems like a very complex show to it is, stage manage. It is. I mean, it's actually uh, challenging in uh, unique ways in that there are so many. It's because it's sung completely throughout. Um, it it, prov- it means that there's a, a, a density of material that you don't normally find in um, other shows. It doesn't necessarily mean that technically it's more complicated mm-hmm. or um, more complicated in other ways, but it does mean that the, just the density of materials offers its own challenges, I guess. Um, meaning that it's uh, it, when you come, when you come, when you begin to teach someone uh, Hamilton, it's almost like, where do you begin? Um, and it's, it's a process that's probably about twice as long as most um, Broadway musicals, yeah. uh, given that you usually have a song and a scene and a yeah. song and a scene. Um, and that usually in those scenes, that's, that's the place where the ensemble gets to rest yeah. or, you know, I mean, not, not necessarily uh, a lot of action is happening. It's usually sort of simply staged and you sort of get to the song. Uh, Hamilton never takes that break. Um, it <laughs> yeah, it's, never, it's relentless in it's, a good way. It's, it, a, it's relentless, yeah. So it means that the ensemble never takes that break. And it means that when we teach, we never take that <laughs> break. Um, so uh, it can it can offer some challenges in ways that I didn't necessarily see it coming. In addition to the the fervor that's around it, it just means a stage manager has to have their eyes on on everything. <laughs> um, and in this particular case, the, the everything is the, the stuff that's happening outside the theater as well. So it's hard to sort of... Um, what do you mean by what's happening outside the theater? Um, you know, the fervor that's happening around the piece. I mean, just yeah. the attention that it gets and the, you know, whether that be the um, ham for ham that we do mm-hmm. for the lottery or whether that mm-hmm. be just the sheer number of people that are coming in and out of the theater. Um, you know that, you, you know, there's no sort of... It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot because, you know, there's just the maintenance of a show. There's just the showing up and doing the show, which I, I often tell people, you know, my job is to sort of come in and handle what side, what's happening inside the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, and then whatever happens outside the theater is this sort of tangential thing that occasionally sort of uh, uh, gets into my head, you know, <laughs> I mean, or, or occasionally I, I sort of I hear about what's happening and I... And I see what's happening outside of the Nobody's talking about Hamilton. It's yeah, I know. It's, but I don't, really, I don't really sort of incorporate that into how I do my job, basically, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So how fast are these cues coming? How fa- On your headset, as you're calling all the cues, how, how lightning fast are these coming? It can be pretty quick. Yeah, I mean, it can be very, very fast. It's, um, I did a couple, I guess a couple seasons ago, I did a show called Janis Joplin, A Night with Janis Joplin, and it had... That was a complete light show. That was a rock and roll light show. And it really sort of, that really sort of honed my skill in being able to sort of land um, a bump cue over and over and over again in, in quick succession, um, which was great because here comes Hamilton now and Hamilton is asking you to do it all over again. So, so what, what, what is your call sequence for a quick bump cue? Uh, it would like be lights go, lights go, lights go, lights go. You know, I mean, that kind of thing. You know, you, but you just, don't give the cue number or anything. You no, know, you don't you have just, time. There's yeah. times when you just don't have time to sort of say lights 13, 18, go. You know, I mean, um, I think that I, there are about a little over 850 cues in this show, which is probably more than... It may be more than any show I've done. I actually, the only reason I actually asked or went, or went through and actually counted was because uh, a couple of people had asked me over and over and over again. And finally, I was like, I don't know. I need an answer to this question <laughs> because people keep asking me how many cues are in this show. Because uh, Hal Binkley has done a remarkable job like carving the space and creating... I have to say that the, the one thing that's so remarkable to me about Hal's work is how each scene, which there are 50 songs in this show, has a different, you know, it's about mm-hmm. the lighting and it's all about the lighting and everything has a different sort of setting or a different mood or a different specificity to it. But um, he's done a remarkable job, truly. And so it's a, t- it's a lot of fun when you're, when you call a show that you love like that, 
and you love to look at the lighting and you love to sort of see it, see it land at the right time, it makes it a lot easier to call. So for those people who may not know what a stage manager really does, mm-hmm. and I bet that it even includes a lot of actors mm-hmm. <laughs> who listen to the show, can you walk me through your day as you come to the theater? Mm-hmm. What's your day getting ready for the show? Uh, my day usually starts at like uh, 10 or 11 in the morning by checking my email, checking my phone, uh, seeing if there's any sort of, uh, any kind of a press thing that I should be aware of, or if there's any kind of a, an actor who's having a, who woke up and had an injury or um, any kind of something, just anything I should be aware of, which often sets off a a chain of emails or a chain of texts or a chain of, you know, whatever. Um, So often it's sort of touching base with my email. Uh, If let's say it's as like tonight is a seven o'clock curtain um, long about four o'clock. I, you know, make sure I've had a little something to eat and then I Mm. like jump in the shower and I head out the door. Um, And uh, I, at that point usually have, uh, either either know who's in that night, who maybe is has a personal day, who has a vacation. So I've I've usually spoken to the dance uh, the dance captain uh, um, or associate choreographer and Stephanie Clemens, who's amazing, and or Patrick Vassell, who is the associate uh, director and the director Tommy Kale. Often uh, we have communication throughout the day just to sort of say this person's going to play this role or this person's going to step in for the ensemble here. So we've sort of cast it by then. Um, <laughs> Always. And uh, I send out a massive text to all departments, whether that be sound and hair, uh, wardrobe, um, the, the other stage managers that I'm working with, because they're going to have to make some kind of an insert for that night. Um, and sound, obviously, and wardrobe. And they have to prep these things for these actors. So they sort of go into motion as I'm on my way to work, mm-hmm. and then hopefully we cross our fingers that nobody else calls out um, <laughs> in that moment. But oftentimes people do, and then we sort of rework it if we need to. We sort of that's sort of our template for the night. And then if somebody else calls out, we quickly sort of rework what we need to do. Before we continue your day, how how often how many performances on is typical that somebody actually does call out or change or do something uh every performance really okay (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah i mean this is pretty standard practice to have sort of uh some kind of a you know it's actually more rare that the full company is in especially (laughs) at this point because when you when you get like six months into the run of a show that's when people are allowed vacations or people are allowed personal days so you start to sort of place those on the calendar and it's a game of Tetris that I sort of play um, to make sure that everything is sort of nobody's not too many people are, are out at once. All our swings for that role are done. Uh, yeah. Cause you'd want to make sure you, you have the option of staffing the show. However you need to staff the show. Um, and so you make sure that only sort of one, you know, you only start the day with like one man and one woman out at one time. And then somebody calls in sick or then somebody has an injury or then, you know, so you're still sort of playing Tetris with how the show is going to happen. And, and usually it's a pretty, you know, quick and easy choice. You know, we, we sort of know mm-hmm. if this happens, we do this. And if this happens, we do this. But um, occasionally it becomes a little challenging <laughs> if, if too many people call out or too many things sort of happen. It can be uh, it can become challenging. What, yes. what is, so what's maybe the, been the most challenging situation with that? Um, that you pull your stage manager super magic, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, we have a remarkable team, and so uh, you know, th- I, I would say that early in the process, like right after opening night, you have not had enough time to rehearse your understudies. You have just gotten through previews with whatever changes you've done your opening night, and then usually right after opening night, there's some sort of a relaxation that happens in the company, which usually means sickness yeah. or injury. Oh. I was when I acted, I was the worst. I swear, every time second weekend, I would be sick. But like like sixty percent of the shows I did second weekend, I'd be fighting through my a cold. Yeah, yeah, it happens a lot, um, it, it, and you sort of brace yourself for it. What what that means is that ultimately you're throwing somebody on who hasn't had enough rehearsal or hasn't had a proper amount of rehearsal to really sort of go on. So you start. We as a team start looking early as to. What happens when this person calls out? What happens if that person calls out? Um, and I have, I am lucky enough to be surrounded by remarkable people who 
um, know how to like the, we have two stage managers on both sides of the stage that basically clock every movement the actor makes when they're off stage. Um, and then we have a remarkable dance team and directing department who clock every moment that a actor does on stage. And so together with the very little piece of, of information an actor can have, they can all sort of piece a show together <laughs> if we have everybody on high alert the whole show. <laughs> um, so that's how you sort of start when somebody calls out early. And like we opened in August, so by, you know, the first week of so August. So when you say you know you're big, do you, is it close to the situation of, okay, now you run backstage and yes. over the other stage manager yes. and they'll tell you what to do. Yes, and right. the person goes, go on stage and rondelay, rondelay, rondelay kick. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about the wrong delay part, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yes, yeah. absolutely. That's exactly how it works. Uh, you know, because because understudies and swings, they're paying attention mm -hmm. and they're writing it down and they're learning as we go along because they're they're watching and noting and but they're until you get on stage and until you do it, the specificity of what you have to do, especially in this show, um, the traffic that you that you have to know and you and you have to be in the right place. You just how you're going to get kicked or you're going to get pushed or. A turntable's going to start, and it's going to, you know, twist your ankle, um, or wrench your back, mm -hmm. or something like that. So, um, it is it is tricky, um, and it speaks to the sort of the remarkableness of our swings as well. They are um, they have gone on pretty much mm -hmm. without incident, um, and have jumped right, and are always willing to jump right in. And all right, so we step through you contacted everybody about who might be gone where we, we diverted a little bit okay now what's the rest of your day here um i it depends uh we the three of us uh there are three stage managers and, and um we either uh one of us will call the show and because now you know once you're a couple months in you get everybody up to speed and everybody is calling the show one stage manager does the deck show, quote unquote deck show, where they walk the deck and make sure. And then one stage manager does paperwork in the office because there's an immense amount of paperwork to sort of also. Like what paperwork are you? Um, I, I'm responsible for making the schedule um, and uh, not just the, you know, the weekly understudy schedule, but it's a, it also requires you know, making sure that the proper people are called and the proper departments are in the building. So when you're, I'm having understudy rehearsal and let's say I want to use the turntable, that means that an electrician has to be there to turn on the power in the building. That means uh, sound needs to be there because we need to be able to talk on our, our mics and our headsets. And that means a carpenter needs to be there or two carpenters need to be there because one needs to press the button for the automation to actually make it go <laughs> and the other one needs to like stand on the deck and watch it. So... It means it's, I, it's my responsibility to make sure the proper people are there so that things go smoothly. So that it just happens when everybody says, can we have the turntable? And I say, yes. And I have the proper people right mm -hmm. there. Um, because if you forget somebody or you forget to sort of do those things, then the frustration begins of, well, we wanted the turntable today. How come we don't have the turntable today? Mm. And that kind of thing. So it's not just about making like we're going to, we're going to decide who we're rehearsing this week and how we're rehearsing them. But it includes sort of making sure each department is up to speed on it and making sure that um, I also keep lists of how rehearsed people are. I sort of have a, you know, red, yellow, green kind of thing where it's like, they've just learned starting to learn the music They're and they're not ready to go on. Um, if they've had a little bit of staging um, I sort of give it, once they've had enough of the staging, I give it like a yellow <laughs> um, thing. In, in an emergency, they would be, you could throw them on and they would survive. And then there's the, <laughs> um, and then there's the green uh, mark that actually sort of says, this person is, is, is rehearsed and ready to go on. So I make sure wardrobe has that information and hair and sound has that information as well, because they, um, once we sort of give someone the green light, we could turn around and put them on tonight. And so wardrobe needs to make sure their costumes are in the building and sound needs to make sure their mic rig is all built. Um, hair department needs to have made some choices, whether that's a wig or, you know, whatever. Um, so we all communicate a lot to make sure that um, we're all on the same page because I don't want to put somebody on stage who doesn't have costumes um, because that really <laughs> that looks odd. Yeah, that... <laughs> <laughs> if everybody's wearing parchments and they're wearing their jeans. That looks odd. I often do, uh, I call about two shows a week now, while the other stage managers call the other six shows. And 
Um, I then do paperwork. I also sort of, if somebody's asked for a vacation or personal day, I start doing that Tetris as well. Um, and then deciding who's going to cover that vacation or personal day. I also, if somebody has been injured, we ask them to do fill out an accident report. And so that we, that's paperwork that has to mm-hmm. sort of get filed into the right places as well. Um, Oh, what else? I keep all kinds of, we keep, you know, I do it. It's not Spider-Man, but how, how no. often is injury a problem in a regular um, show? Our, we, we have quite a few injuries, actually. It's because of the, um, the amount of dancing these, this ensemble is expected to do. It's um, nonstop. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. truly yeah. nonstop. Um, and so they, there, there are moments where exhaustion gets them, and you know, if if you let down in this piece, uh, and if you sort of, you, you could very well sort of be blindsided in a way. Um, oftentimes, it's a tweak or a you know a, a a little tweak knee or a shoulder or something um, that doesn't necessarily require you know uh, a lot of physical therapy or you know any kind of you know, rehabilitation. Um, oftentimes it's an ice pack, you know, that will help you get through the night and get through tomorrow, you know? So it's those kind of tweaks. It's those kind of things that you're managing, you're noting, um, because sometimes those things can turn into something later. Um, so you need to make sure you have record of everything that sort of happens. And so that goes into the daily report, which we do every day. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, there are other kinds of paperwork, um, so there's a lot of... You're laughing. There's got to be something silly in, in this there's, story. Uh, well, you know, the whole thing is silly. I, you know, I sort of look at my job as a sort of a, a silly thing that I sort of fell into on some level. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe as a parting shot before we wrap this up and you get to calling the shots mm-hmm. tonight, mm-hmm. Uh, what, what is, is there like kind of one particular thing, the greatest joy or satisfaction you get out of stage managing a production? It's watching the audience's reaction. Uh, You know, occasionally you have to sort of go out in the house and just remind yourself what you're doing Um, because you can get lost in it as well. Uh, It's, it's true with pretty much every show I've done, but there are three shows in particular that have uh, affected me in a way that all I have to do is walk out. And all I had to do was walk out and sit down and watch it for 10 minutes and realize this is, this is a wonderful experience. And um, hairspray was one of those. Because Hairspray was at a time when the city needed, uh, was in desperate need of a laugh and in desperate need of, you know, it was 2002 when mm-hmm. it opened and it, it needed some release. It needed a reason to sort of have joy. Um, and Hairspray was that for the city. Um, another one was In the Heights. Um, in the Heights had a, a, a cast of Latinos that were so proud and so happy to be that the joy that they brought into the theater every day was. Uh, unmatched by any show I've ever done. Um, and so to just sort of go out in the house and sit and watch um, was uh, a moment, especially knowing that afterwards there would be um, people sort of weeping because they had never seen themselves in this capacity on stage. You know, they, they had never seen a, a warm, loving story told about Latinos in a musical on stage before. So that was uh, significant because you knew you were helping to sort of see somebody's life change just that much. Um, and then, then Hamilton. I mean, Hamilton is one where you, you, you ha- I remind myself daily that we are sort of, we are bending the arc of Broadway just a tiny bit. Um, and I, I don't, you know, I don't. I don't put a lot of stock into. We've changed the face of Broadway theater. Yeah. I do put a lot of stock into. You know, we are. We we bend the arc. We we've started it curving in a direction that it's never gone before. So that part of it is uh, remarkable. In addition to just the piece itself, is a joy to watch. And then people have Hamilton face <laughs> when they come on stage, which to me I call it Hamilton face because ultimately they they can't really speak. Uh, you know, they, they haven't sort of taken in the layers that all the layers that are Hamilton and, and they need a day, they need two days just to sort of let it sink in a little bit. So when you're doing that kind of theater and you really sort of have set somebody's mind a whirl for a while, um, that's super rewarding as well. 
Well, I thank you so much, Jason, for coming in and, and for sharing me. your experiences. I do hope that when you come visit your parents, you'll give me a call. We can go have a drink or go to karaoke. I cannot wait to tell my family that you're from Great Falls. That's amazing. All right. Have a good show tonight. All right. Thanks for having me. All right. And if you'd like to hear a lot more, remember, we do have in our feed the full unedited interviews, which have a lot of nuggets. And I guarantee you. Uh, Jason has a lot of surprises, probably things you didn't even know that a stage manager had to do. Okay, well, I'll let you know really quick. Uh, I'm starting a brand new major at my university, the University of Great Falls. It's going to be a major in theater and business arts. It's definitely about the art. We teach you to be an artist, but we also teach you that you are that unique entrepreneur that an artist is. You have to learn the business, learn ideas of how you're going to break in, how you're going to make things happen if people don't come immediately knocking on your door. Uh, I'm not going to get into a lot of the major. You can find out more. We have a big link at broadwaybullet.com. I'd love to see some of the high school students listening, maybe check out our program. But because of that, the university has decided they're going to let this be part of my job. Uh, part of why I couldn't get back and do it is it was just taking all my vacation time. And as much as I love doing it, I do have also, like, friends and family to visit New York and couldn't always just do this. But they are going to let me do it. So that's great. Not only that, we're going to be bringing out a couple of our students every uh, six months to do the interviews and let them get kind of the experience and meet some of the people and see what the scene is like. So they are uh, supporting us a little bit. They're going to give us also, like, two years of, like kind of basic financial support to make sure we can keep running. But on that level, we have set up a Patreon account. Part of what's hard is not just getting out there and recording, which I love, but when I get in the middle of doing all the university stuff and teaching and directing and setting up the programs and overseeing the whole department is it's hard to find time to edit these. So uh, kind of taking the idea with the major and as you know, maybe a lot of theater students need flexible jobs so they can do so. The idea behind the Patreon thing is I'm not going to make any more money off this. I'm not making any money off this, but we will use that to provide you a better show and to give students uh, some jobs so that they can make some money while they study. So we would really love it if you would kind of support us on Patreon. You can um, subscribe on a per episode thing, and the episode just is the main episode. And as we grow, we'd like to add more things maybe some transcripts of the interviews, maybe start doing some video recording of these and putting those up. I don't know, kind of what you want. And as uh, as the money comes in, we'll we'll ask your opinion on what you'd like to see more of on this program. But it, we're back. We're going to be recording new episodes in May. Uh, if we get a couple Tony nominees, we might put out even a special at the end of May, but the episodes will start coming for the season in July. Anyway, patreon.com slash broadwaybullet, or there is a link from the broadwaybullet.com homepage. We'd love it if you'd support us, and you'd be helping out uh, some college theater students. So with that, no more delay. Let's get back into the program. Listening Room. Michael Mott is a composer, lyricist, singer, actor, and voice teacher living in NYC. He was born and raised in New Hartford, New York. He graduated from Ithaca College, and after graduating, he moved to New York, did some off-Broadway acting and such, and in 2012, he decided to shift his focus to writing and was accepted into the prestigious BMI Lehman Engel Musical Theater Writers Workshop. So, Michael's debut album, Where the Sky Ends, is a compilation album of his original songs performed by some of the best singers on Broadway, and, uh... We're going to let you hear a song or two from that. The first one we're going to play is called Dare to Dream, and it is sung by Laura Osnes and Jeremy Jordan. So check it out. There was a world I longed to find, but living was labored and life was unkind. Yet I was determined to press through the fog and the steam. So I dared to dream Now there's a world clear as the day Nothing and no one can stand in my way I am a vessel sailing through water upstream And I dare to dream In this new world I can be bold Show me adventure and I 
unafraid with my power I know I'll prevail there's not a lake I can't cross or wall I can't scale look at your world the life that you lead do you have everything you want and need notice what's missing then ponder a plan or a scheme if you dare I to know dream. what I want and I know what I need I pray every day it comes true but sadly the future is not up to me or to you you can't believe all the lies you've been told you can control your own fate listen to what I am saying before it's too late where is the boy inside the man what are his wishes and what is his plan you'd be a hero held in the Night. I've lived under orders and stayed out of sight Then suddenly you've come and opened my eyes And now I can see past the fables and lies I've longed to be looked at instead of looked through The future's focused on you Once again, that was Laura Osney's and Jeremy Jordan singing Dare to Dream from Michael Mott's album, Where the Sky Ends. Check that out at iTunes and all sorts of other places. We're going to hear another song from him in a little bit, but right now, let's get back to another interview. Breaking the Business General management is often the unseen, unknown aspect of the theater arts. And uh, my philosophy with this program is always that the more sides of everything we know in this business, uh, the better we can be about what we do. So I'm really excited to have from Jumpstart Entertainment, uh, Daniel Cooney and Roy Gabay. Uh, so do you want to introduce yourselves really quick so people can connect the voice with the name? Yeah, sure. I'm Daniel Cooney. <clears throat> Hi, I'm Roy Gabay. And Michael, thanks so much for having us. All right, so uh, why don't you first give us the kind of quick overview of uh, what Jumpstart Entertainment is and, and maybe why you, why you started it. Sure. Well, Jumpstart Entertainment is a general management firm. We represent Broadway, off-Broadway, and touring theatrical productions. And for those who don't know what a general manager is, well, first of all, it's funny, you know, Roy and I were just saying, you know, we often get asked what it is a general manager does, and I don't think we fully perfected our elevator pitch <laughs> can you with general management and i think that's part of the problem <laughs> is that it, it encompasses so many different things but in large part we are the people that the producers hire hopefully very early on in the project to help them guide a new production to life okay and we're responsible for pretty much all aspects overseeing all aspects of a production from the budgeting to the contracting to the day-to-day -day management, what we're not responsible for uh, is the fundraising. Mm -hmm. So the producer has the the sole responsibility to raise the funds, supply the funds, whatever, and we, uh, working in conjunction with the producer, make the show happen. That's sort of the, the, the quick answer is we make it happen. Now, not that most producers are like this, but um, am I correct? Would I be correct assuming, let's say we had a producer that was solely money, solely like, I got the money, I want to do the show. Could they theoretically hand the whole production chops of the rest of it over to you? Are you are you kind of... Sure, they totally could. I think they would be missing out on <laughs> the fun of producing a show. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we could be the technocrats, for lack of a better term. But I think they, they would, if they're going to take the trouble of raising the money, they should 
they'll have a seat at the table, so <laughs> they might as well enjoy that part of the process. But there's something, and what you're describing, the industry has sort of uh, given the label of executive producer to. Mm -hmm. You know, it's sort of a little bit above the general management side, which really takes its marching orders from the producer. An executive producer is more of a situation, and a lot of times it is the general manager, where they, they act as the de facto producer because the producer doesn't have either the real experience and the contacts to do it or the day-to-day -day time. We get a lot of shows where producers are in different parts of the country or different parts of the world, and they're just not, and they have full-time jobs, which is how they made the money <laughs> to do this, and they're just not able to devote the time needed to be the full-on, full-time lead producer. And where I ask that question is not in the expectation that there actually are people that turn over the whole thing, but my guess is that you need to be, ex you guys need to be experienced in all those aspects, because I suspect where you play is filling in whatever that person's weak spots are, in, in terms of experience or connections or knowledge. Would that be... For sure, yeah. Mm. If you look at a lot of people who produce theater, and it's great for artists alike, is that it, it's a lot of people who are coming at it from a second career. They're people who've had successful television careers or successful Wall Street careers. And so they do have a lot of money, and they have the time, and they want to produce shows, but they, they don't have either the contacts or you know they wouldn't know how to sit down and draft a, a budget for a mm. new Broadway musical. So they need our help. Uh, they need somebody to come in and say, all right, you know, here's what the next steps are. Do you have the rights yet? Okay, let's get the rights. Let's put a, a budget together for this piece. Right. And a big thing right now in the marketplace we're in right now in 2015, moving into 2016, um, is theater availability or lack thereof. Oh, yeah, that's I mean, I'm been sure a big... you're hearing that all the time. And one thing that we can do, I mean, we can't guarantee it, like nobody can, but we have such close connections to the theater owners that we can get in the door and we can get the show on the list and we can get in front of their eyes. It's not a guarantee we'll get a theater, but if you as a producer don't have those uh, contacts, you're really at a disadvantage because it's such a competitive market. How long has Jumpstart been around now? When did you guys found it? So we formed Jumpstart as an offshoot of Roy Gabay Productions, which was really around for about 15 yeah. years. So we officially rebranded as Jumpstart over the summer, and it's really sort of just a um, reinforcement of a working relationship Roy and, have, Roy and I have had over the last few years. I started with Roy as an intern, which is, I think, how a lot of people start in the business these days. It's still very much an apprentice industry, and uh, so I started with Roy as an intern in 2002, and we've just been working together for a long time. And been general managing more pieces with Roy, and we just felt like, you know, there's enough work that we have right now. We really need to be a, a pair in this. Uh, and I think Roy had some other reasons of his own, but we both came out and we're like, you know, just kind of looking at each other one day, like, it's time to kind of rebrand a little bit. Right. It enabled me to, to you know, have some uh, help not with the general management side of things so I can also spend time on the producing side of things and not have to really wear both hats all the time. And it enabled us, honestly, to take on more work because, you know, as a one-man band, there's just a limitation on what you can do. So it's, uh, it's helping us to expand. Yeah, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could clone ourselves? Right? Right? <laughs> It'd be great. So what are some of your clients right now that you're working on, large and small? Um, let's see, we've probably got about six or seven projects in various stages of development, and they're all the way um, from the things we can talk about. I mean, we're, mm. we're targeting for 2016-17 Broadway season the musical uh, version of the film Monsoon Wedding, uh, which is on a developmental mm. uh, track uh, with very uh, established Broadway producers. And we're doing a stage version of sort of a jukebox musical of the music of Jim Steinman, who's responsible for all of the Bad Out of Hell albums. What time is the right time for a producer to, to enlist your services? I think as early as possible. If you have an idea to produce a show, I don't think that's too early to call a general manager. You know, we can be very helpful in the process you know, making sure that producers are doing the things that they should be doing to protect themselves. Do they have the rights? You know, I can't tell you how many times a producer will come to us and say that they've been working on a show for 
two or three years and they haven't optioned the rights. <laughs> and that leaves them in a very vulnerable place when it comes time to actually produce the show. So getting the, you know, having a general manager on board can help producer make sure that they're sort of checking off all the things they need to be doing and also helping them strategize, you know, where is this show should, where should this show go? Is it ready to go straight to Broadway? Should it go out of town? All right, if it's going out of town, what kind of production is it doing out of town? Is it doing a regional production at a nonprofit, or do you want to go sit down somewhere in Chicago for an extended run? And these are the kinds of things that a general manager can help if they're brought on very early on in the process. Yeah, and I also think um, what people don't realize is that by waiting to bring on a GM, we spend so much time cleaning stuff up. And it's not really an ideal way to spend our time. It's not really an ideal way to spend a producer's money. We're brought on later than we should be, and then we start looking at, you know, excuse the mess, and we just have to clean it up. And that is time-consuming, and it's expensive, and it doesn't benefit anyone. So um, when you deal with a lot of bigger shows, what's your evaluation when, when a producer approaches you interested in hiring you? Uh, what's your kind of criteria for, yes, I'll, we'll take this on? I think it's it, there's a couple of uh, pieces that we look at. The two main ones are the producers and the piece itself. Starting with the producers, um, you know, Theater is still a very individual-based uh, industry. We are not, we don't really have, except for the Disneys of the world, mm -hmm. big corporations producing our shows. They are individuals. They are individual lead producers. And the relationship between a producer and a general manager is one where you're on the phone, you're in email con contact 10 times a day. And I always say to people, when they ask why should we hire you as a GM or how to, how are you better than anyone else at the level that we're at? I'm not sure that one GM is greatly better or worse than another. All of us wouldn't be working at the highest level of the Broadway mm. standard. If we were bad, you know, the, the handful of us that do this have achieved a certain um, level. It's really, who do you want to talk to 10 times a day? And it's a personality thing. So we look a lot at producers Either we know them because we've worked with them in the past, or we hear about them, or we check up on references just like they check up on us. It's about a relationship, and do you want to have a relationship with that person? I think that's a big criteria. And then there's just the project itself. Does it look interesting, fun, difficult? I'm not saying just because mm -hmm. it's difficult we don't want to do it, but what is it? What is it? Uh, again, I'm at a point where I want to take on things that I feel are interesting and have something to say, not just, oh, it's a show, let's do it. Mm -hmm. So um, any parting shots you'd like to get out there about the, this business while you're in it, whatnot, for, for our listeners? You know, one of the reasons Roy and I decided to form a partnership, we are not too far off in age, but we're a little bit different. Um, as someone who's has a couple more months of being in my mid-30s, one of the things that I'm really excited for is that next generation of producer who's going to come on board and be, you know, the next Daryl Roth, the next David Merrick, someone who really has that urge, who maybe hasn't yet produced a Broadway show. So I would say if you are that young person out there and you're listening to this and you've sort of been itching, you know, that's the kind of call I would really like to take in over the next few months is working with the, the new generation of people who want to take a shot at producing. All right. Well, thank you so much for getting in touch with me to share your experiences. It's uh, been a great interview, hearing about some of the different things. So I wish you luck on your developmental projects. Uh, they sound uh, very interesting. And, and best of luck as you guys go forward. Michael, thank you so much. This was really great. Great. Thanks very much. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Special thanks to our location sponsor, Thanks to the Dramatist Guild Fund for welcoming us to their space for today's podcast. Providing the music hall at DGF for writers to use for free is one of the many ways the Dramatist Guild Fund supports writers. I encourage you to find out more about DGF by visiting their website at www.dgffund.org or connecting with them on Twitter at DGFund. A location sponsorship also goes out to the longest-running play in America, Sheer Madness, now finally in New York City at the New World Stages. 
Go check out this funny show that'll leave you laughing and guessing the entire way through. And no, that's not what they told me to say. I saw the show. Listening Room. For the second song of Michael Motz, I thought I'd play something a little bit different because he also released a five-song EP of dance mixes of his various Broadway tunes. A little bit different, so I thought, what's he doing here? So for this song, we're playing Hold Me Tight, and who else could be a better dance diva? It's a song by Orfe, which we interviewed a while back. So check it out.
All right. That was Dare to Dream, written by Michael Mott, performed by Orpha. That's off the Where the Sky Ends, the Dance Remixes EP. And again, like I said, we interviewed Orpha a while back. In fact, you can look. It's still online. Volume 118. It was just after she had gotten that Tony nomination for Legally Blonde. She was a lot of fun to have in the studio, and you should check that out. All right. And check out Where the Sky Ends by Michael Mott with a lot more stuff. We're hoping to interview him this summer, actually. Pretty interesting guy. In the best of company. All right. uh, The Astoria Performing Arts Center has uh, been long-running Queen Staple and is an award-winning theater that routinely sweeps the NY It Awards. And they are under relatively new management with uh, different different directions from the same direction. And we're here to talk with Dev Bondarin and Jessica Bathurst about the the new APAC Astoria Performing Arts Center. How are you guys doing? Good. Yeah, pretty good. Can you, you introduce? Uh, we got to. Can you introduce yourself so they can recognize the voice with the name? I am uh, Dev, and I became the artistic director of APAC in November of 2014. All right. And I'm Jessica Bathurst. I'm the executive director, and I became the executive director about two months ago. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, first off, I guess the, the very first thing, let's talk about the, uh, the maybe just a l- brief history of the Astoria Performing Arts Center and, um, and then a little bit into what's new. <laughs> sure. Um, APAC was founded in 2001, um, so we're in our 15th season, um, which is pretty exciting. Um, it was founded by... Um, a woman named Sue Scannell, who was an actor in New York, uh, who lived in the Astoria area and sort of felt like there was a demand for a theater company in that area and sort of canvassed the neighborhood saying that there were going to be tryouts for an upcoming show and got 500 responses. That's sort of like the mini story (laughs) in a moment, um, which really was, you know, the founding moment of sort of you know, feeling like there was a need for arts in Astoria, a theater company right there. Um, And the support from uh, city leaders in Queens really um, took to that idea and took to her, you know, sort of passion for that. And the company evolved from there. All right. So how does uh, the two of you coming on board, uh, Dev, about a year ago, I guess, and and then Jessica about... Two months ago, what is changing and what's staying the same? Um, well, I met APAC as an audience member about five years ago. Um, I live in the neighborhood, and I've uh, I had known about the theater and knew the former artistic director Tom, um, and uh, just loved to go to the theater. And I love that I met APAC as an audience member because something that is something that we're definitely interested in keeping at the fore, but something that I was excited about way back when is that we really keep high production values at um, a really high importance level. And so we transform our space for each production. Each production can be designed based around the needs of that production, both, you know, where the audience is sitting, how the show is constructed in the space. And, you know, I just used to love going to APAC time and again to not only see the productions, but also see how my experience was going to be altered for the better in terms of, how the space was prepared. Um, and so when I became the artistic director, I knew that I wanted to keep that kernel of excitement for every audience member following to come in and really have a genuine theater experience. You know, we always joke when people start to work at APAC, either it's going to be their best commute ever because there's so many <laughs> arts people who live in the neighborhood or it's going to be a terrible commute, but they're dedicated to being a part of our production um, and they make it work. Um, and because we are in an outer borough, so to speak, you know, we really want to capitalize on the fact that our space is flexible and we can make it a true experience that we're giving people a return on their investment of taking the time to come see us. And I think for me, I also uh, first encountered APAC as an audience member, but I do not live in Queens. I live in Brooklyn. <laughs> so you're the you're the worst commuter in this <laughs> it's, equation. It's not, it's not as bad as it could be. But, um, <laughs> it's not as bad uh, as Brooklyn it could be. to Queens. Yeah, yeah that's a, um, mm. yay G train. Um, 
But for me, you know, I am learning more about the Astoria arts community, the Astoria community in general. And so for me, the goal is I want everyone to know about APEC. Um, I feel like we, um, you know, we are building on this tradition of excellence. And now I just want to make sure that I, I mean, my goal is that everyone in Astoria should know who APEC is, what we do. We don't only do main stage shows, although, you know, we do a fall play and a spring musical, but we also have all of these community programs. Uh, we have two summer programs for, uh, you know, one for seniors, it's free for anyone over 60 who lives in Queens, and one for um, anyone between 8 and 13 who lives in Queens. So those are also, I feel like APEC is something where no matter who you are in Astoria, we have something for you. Yeah, and I want to. I'll give a personal endorsement that I did see quite a while back. I saw your production of Ragtime. Oh yeah, and it is one of my favorite shows ever. And I thought it was a absolutely incredible performance. You. you guys definitely do good work. That's worth commuting out there to watch. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I want to touch on two little things, and we'll get back to it later. But I want to give people a little hint of what's going to be in like maybe the full uncut interview. Sure. Which is just. A really quick summary of your both of your backgrounds before coming here, and we will go deeper into those backgrounds <laughs> as well later. Okay. Um, I grew up in New York City, actually. Um, so moving to Queens was interesting because when I came back to New York after going to college, I lived in the New England area for about seven years. Um, I went to, I actually went to Brooklyn College. So I got mm -hmm. really. Um, you know, clear on the Brooklyn scene and traveling from Manhattan to Brooklyn. And that was really exciting. And then moving to Queens was like a whole new world. And that was really a, a challenging change, but something that I was really excited about while always doing theater. Um, I came back to New York to go to grad school at Brooklyn College, um, where I got my MFA. Um, and I've been working, you know, pretty steadily as a director in the off-off-Broadway scene, also assisting a bit off-Broadway. Um, and I do, you know, a lot of work on new work, new plays, new musicals. I have worked for a long time with a company that develops only original musicals. Prospect, right? Prospect yes. Theater Company, yes, I'm indeed. very fond of them as yes. well. Yes, thank you. So, um, and so I've worked with them for about 10 years. Um, and my current role with them is I continue to curate and direct a musical theater lab where we commission musical theater writers to write short pieces all on a central theme, and then it gets put up in a workshop format um, for an audience. Um, and it really gives writers, you know, the opportunity to write for fun um, without a lot of pressures for, you know, critics, et cetera. Not that those are bad. Yeah. <laughs> and Jessica? Uh, I'm actually originally from Florida. Um, and I, oddly enough, also went to Brooklyn College, although we were not there at the same time. I moved to New York uh, to get my MFA in performing Brooklyn College Mafia. Oh, it's a real thing. <laughs> no, it's, it's actually it's a real thing. It's funny that thing. you just said that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, so I went and got my MFA in performing arts management um, and uh, worked at BAM. Um, I also uh, have also worked at St. Anne's Warehouse. I worked at the Brooklyn Center for the Performing Arts. I'm very also well entrenched in the Brooklyn scene. Um, also, I'm an actor. I uh, went to the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland and got an MA there. Um, so I've sort of have a very varied resume. Um, and the last year, I actually went back to Brooklyn College and uh, took over the MFA in Performing Arts Management program while its head was on sabbatical. Uh, she and I had written a textbook together, um, and so she asked me to do that for her. Um, What's the name of the textbook? The name of the textbook is uh, Performing Arts Management, a Handbook of Professional Practices, available on Amazon. <laughs> um, but uh, so I have um, a very, very a varied background in management and, and other things, um, and then was looking... I mean, I didn't know if you want me to transition to how I ended up at APAC. Yeah, sure. But, uh, I, you know, was looking for sort of my next, uh, my next challenge. And Dev and I know each other because I used to have my own theater company, used to be an independent producer, and uh, she and I have worked together on many projects, including a project for The Fringe in 2008 that was called Raised by Lesbians, uh, which is the best title ever because yeah. when people say, what's it about? You could say it's about being raised by lesbians. Wow! Imagine that <laughs> it was there, Truth and it really was. <laughs> it really was. That, that's 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 not that's not a joke. Um, so you know, when she said we might be looking for a new executive director, um, I got in contact with them, and now here we are. How you know how well known are you in in the community now? Um, and by what I mean is, 
how show to show are you? How how hard do you have to market each individual show, or do you have like the audience that is just like there for you? I think um, my experience thus far is that we do have a core APAC audience. Uh, we also have APAC volunteers, people who come by and and sort of are part of our community. I think, quite frankly, that we have more work to do there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that we that I would like to build our audience so that we we have more people that we can rely upon. Um, but I think we've got a good start. I mean, I think we've got we've got people who come. Uh, and, we, and we definitely, I mean, the nice thing is, is that Dev and I are there at every show, mm-hmm. which means that when people come and then they tell us what they thought or they, you know, they tell us what they liked, they tell us what they didn't like, they tell us what they're looking forward to. So we know who those people are. And we also can, you know, now that I've been there for a couple of shows, you know, I recognize people who I may not necessarily know by name, but we become familiar faces to each other and that feels really good. Any parting shots that you guys have I think we've, we've covered a good amount. Yeah, I mean, so. you know, thank you for asking about the upcoming par- portions of our season. We're really excited about Astoria Stories, mm-hmm. which is going to, you know, both celebrate our community and our neighborhood while also allowing us to work with many more artists during a given season than we normally would with two main main stage shows. It's nice to add this third piece of programming. Mm-hmm. Um, no, so, that, yeah. so, so, you know, basically come out and see us. Um, our website is www.apacny.org. Uh, and also, uh, Dev and I are there. So when you come out and see us, you should come up and say hi. Please say hi. You can um, meet the stars. You can meet Bob us. Uh, but no, we're we're um, you know if come and see the show. Let us know what you thought. If you want to get involved with APAC, also you can we can talk to you about that. Like we're we are also always looking for new people to come in and be part of and work uh, with us and work with the Historic Performing Arts Center. All right. So uh, Dev Bondaren and Jessica Bathurst. I got him right. You got him. him. Thank you. Um, thank you so much for thank venturing you. from the outer boroughs <laughs> doo, 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 and into Manhattan to talk about APAC. Thank you so thank much. Thank you. Best of luck. Curtain call. All right. Well, that pretty much wraps up this episode. I am so glad you're finally able to get this episode out. And again, another one coming next month. We've got Lynn Winterseller heading that off, and she's, oh, one of my favorites, and it was so exciting to meet her. She was one of the singers on Closer Than Ever, if you have that soundtrack, and if you don't, you absolutely should get it. So we've got that coming up and more. The show will be back. We're going to be doing more interviews in May, just as a reminder, so subscribe. Please, 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 if you want to support some college students, get them some jobs, get some better and more consistent programming going on with Broadway Bullet, visit broadwaybullet.com or patreon.com slash broadwaybullet or broadwaybullet.com, and there's a link there. And uh, please consider subscribing and uh, donating on a per-episode basis to increase the quality and get some uh, nice extra jobs for some college theater students. And along with that, you're going to hear a bit more about it after the thing. But come check out the new major we got going on, Theater and Business Arts. I promise you, you're going to learn a lot. I've shaped this about what I've learned through talking to all these people on the podcast and people I know and how they work. And we're going to make sure that you work, too, in the arts. All right. But before I sign off, I want to one more time give a very special thanks to uh, Sheer Madness for giving us some space to record, as well as the Dramatist Guild Fund. And they're going to be sponsoring us coming back again to record, so that's wonderful. And Ronnie, our assistant that you heard about, I have heard through a little bird through Facebook that she's actually been working as a dresser, her goal in New York. Uh, Somewhat, I think, through the contact she met helping. So anyway, thanks again for Ronnie and the assistant work there, and we'll see everybody back. arts major. I know what most theater programs are like, and I've talked to thousands of artists. 
All of this told me that a new style of theater major was needed. Theater majors can get a pretty good arts education just about anywhere, but most programs do very little to prepare actors, directors, playwrights, technicians, producers, etc. to manage their careers. When you go into the arts, you are your own business, and you need to manage that to strategically plan for your career to grow. If you've listened to many of these interviews, you know you need to be self-starters to create your own opportunities. I'm going to make sure you are ready for that world. You'll get a ton of opportunities as an undergraduate. Actors will act, even as freshmen. Designers will design shows right away. Playwrights will see their shows mounted. Directors will direct. Producers will handle shows from inception to execution. Outstanding guest artists will conduct workshops, and outstanding students will even work on this podcast and travel to New York with me for interview weeks. And if that isn't enough, we've got an amazing program that will pay all or part of your student loan payments, even private loans, if you are earning less than $40,000 six months after graduation. That is an invaluable option that lets you pursue your passion in theater with less financial pressure. If interested, and I hope you are, Go to broadwaybullet.com. I'd love to help you launch your career.